Welcome to the Gay15 interview, the very first Gay15 interview of this exciting new year of 2021. And today I'm joined by a very special guest, Mr. Vitaly Kermez, who is, well, he wears a lot of hats really, but for today we'll introduce him as the chairman and CEO at Advanced Intelligence. Vitaly, welcome brother. Thank you very much for joining me today. I've been looking forward to our discussion for a while now. Do you wanna take a moment, introduce yourself to those that are listening in? Yep, thank you, Andy. And it's a, it's a pleasure to join you and being, uh, being the first, uh, I guess the podcast inter uh, interviewee of 2021, we believe this is going to, is going to be slightly or, or majorly a better year than <laughs> the last one, especially we believe that the pandemic uh, is getting more controlled in many shape or forms. So yeah, thank you so much. Uh, I'm excited to join. And quick introduction, my name is Vitaly uh, Kremes. I'm also chairman and CEO of Company Advanced Intelligence LLC. I'm currently also leading the firm's new business initiatives where we focus on uh, essentially expanding our reach into different uh, business sectors. So I'm learning a lot actually as a business executive because it's been a transformative experience for us. We have uh, experienced a tremendous growth actually throughout the pandemic. And I believe actually the idea of us introducing the product in the pandemic was quite interesting and helpful because it allows us to differentiate across the market. As the company as we are, which is uh, basically chose the route of not uh, attracting uh, capital for us. So we chose to be funded only through the customer relationships we have and trusted valued partners Partners we have. It's a, it's a, such an honor and a pleasure to, to, to be at the place we are in. Also, uh, we also, I'm also an author of the course called Zero to Automated, where we have currently over 1,000 students online. So we teach them how to become expert malware reverse engineers. So it's also been a, quite an experience where we learn how to give back to the community from the sense of teaching uh, uh, malware reverse engineering uh, courses, as well as the just uh, designing the course for the community that's super helpful at a very you know affordable rate, so to speak. So I've been doing quite of interesting uh, projects and initiatives, and uh, yeah, thank you, thank you, Andy, and uh, we're excited to speak with you, and especially uh, joining the podcast and having such a close relationship with someone who's so trusted and and with the cause that we have, especially with you know as we supported earlier the faith-based communities. That's something that has been at the core of our mission and the company itself. So certainly it's a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you for inviting Thanks so much. There's so much in there I'd love to dive into. We're going to dive into some of that here in just a moment. But, you know, one, just giving back to the community, right, through the education and the old saying, right, teach a man to fish. And that's what you're doing. You're creating, you know, thousand more, you know, warriors that can help keep networks safe and secure. So we don't have to think about that when we're online doing what we want to do. And so I, I love that. And we're going to talk more about your company and what you're doing. But you made a great point because so many... Um, you know, network organizations, security organizations rely on investments from, from capital investors, right? And to not do that, to not take on that obligation is is different. And, and, and really, the success you've had is quite remarkable. So I love the approach. I love what you're doing. Really excited to talk all about that. So we're going to jump right into that. And I'm sure you're going to jump in with some thoughts as we go. But you know, here we are, Vitaly, right? A couple immigrant boys trying to defend our adopted home from bad guys that are trying to do her and her people harm. I think it's super exciting to do that. I love being able to do that. I love the way you're going about that. And as a veteran and as a security focused guy, I always appreciate first and second generation immigrants, you know, working to protect and serve our nation, you know, whether that's as a security professional or in the military, through military service, or even in political office, right? So can you so, share a little bit about your, you know, Vitali origin story, where you came from and how you got started in the US? It's, it's a remarkable story. It is, it is quite an interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm, I was born in a country called Belarus which is uh, part of the Eastern European uh, bloc and sort of countries, but historically, actually I was born in a country that doesn't exist, which is the Soviet Union. <laughs> so I still had a birth certificate with the Soviet Union 
uh, for a few years before it collapsed in 1991, so which was a major transformative event where I was born. Since early days, I was, uh, you know, I, was, I, was, I lived in and experienced the country of Belarus, where the only, it was post-Soviet uh, country, where we experienced the new economic growth and the companies, uh, initially, the, sorry, the country's transition towards the new economy models. Uh, that was quite, quite interesting to observe. I met so many great people and, you know, and essentially I matured and lived through the country where we were, we had so many difficulties to basically to get, you know, basic access to certain even technologies. But back also when I was a kid earlier, I learned a lot about like computer networking and uh, cybersecurity, even when I was there from different angles, because we've seen um, many people who are doing the bad activities as well. So we learned the hacker mentality from the early days, but also learned the good, the good, uh, the good, the good stuff as well uh, to help the communities. And since then, uh, I was also a musician, I had my own rock band called Excalibur, Excalibur, where we play different music. Actually, from I love that, by the way, it's a great name. That's an awesome <laughs> name. Yeah. yeah, it's a sacred sword. Uh, so Excalibur was the band we played with. And in Belarus, uh, I was also, and if you're familiar, in Belarus, there's a pretty significant events occurring in 2020 uh, after the even the latest elections where they were blatantly falsified by the government and the president Lukashenko still maintains power. So at some at certain time in 2008, I faced a lot of persecution and prosecution by the government, and I forced to leave the country with no return, basically. I had one ticket in one direction, which is the US, and I was forced to actually, you know, in many shape or form to build a new life outside of the country where I was born with no friends, no family, just myself. And literally with, uh, it's, it's, it's a really kind of an immigrant story of $300 in my pocket, uh, going to the country where, uh, I didn't know anyone and essentially starting uh, my first job in the US was actually playing music. So I was playing guitar in Stamford, Connecticut, and also working as a construction worker during the daytime. So we balanced two, two jobs while I was in the middle of the legal document process trying to be legalized in the US because that's also a huge process. It takes even a year, even more than a year to get official documents, so to speak. So we've been doing everything from that perspective and also uh, the passion and, and my uh, lifelong passion for cybersecurity and cyber world per se has always been through my whole life. And then of course, Lenin in the US got married later on and had my own properties and businesses. So that has been quite an experience and it's, and it's the place where I call home now, the US. It's unfortunate the reality of Belarus where the country uh, has been sanctioned, the government itself for because of the false fed elections, even currently, there's so many people, friends and colleagues who I know from childhood who's been arrested or detained for just because of the political views. So, uh, and I think that's something that we kind of say uh, in Belarus and everywhere else, we never take uh, any freedom for granted. So everything is a hard fought battle. And it's, it, it, it's, a, it's, it's, it's the outcome of us being active and never, uh, never stopping believing in us and basically fighting for freedom, fighting in Belarus and and essentially, the U.S. was the country that afforded us the freedom to express who we are. And that's something that uh, I cherish a lot and always remember and thank Belarus for. So there's a lot of interesting, uh, <laughs> uh, there's lots of interesting background that w went through just to came to the U.S. with different protest movements, being part of the youth organizations and, and playing guitar and being a professional musician, then transitioning to uh, and studying at John Jay College of Criminal Justice in the U.S. and working in the prosecutor's office. And then uh, here we are. Here we are, right? Here we are. It's, it's an amazing story. I mean, you and I could probably sit around and have a 
a whole hour, couple hours long discussion just on, I think, the, the politics of the world. But you know, before we started the recording, Natalia and I were chatting, just you know, we're recording this uh, the day after the inauguration here in the United States. And you're saying just you know, regardless of one's politics, you know, with, with, with Vitaly's background and what he's, what he's seen and what continues to occur in Belarus and so many countries around the world today and, you know, uh, disingenuous elections, you know, falsified election results and uh, just seeing the tr peaceful transition of power that occurred here in the United States, even after you know, the Capitol riot and um, just the remarkable event that occurs, you know, we have elections here in the United States and how, how that works and how, how we sometimes take that for granted, not appreciating the challenges that are going on around the world and in your, in your homeland. And I mean, there's, there's so much in there. I'm hearing, you know, scorpions and the wind of change in the background while you're talking and just imagining that, you know, the story of your life as you, as you made your move That's here and all that you went through. It's, it really is awesome. So thank you for sharing that with us and I'd love to talk about that more, but we're going to dive in a few other things because you've, you've done so much, right? So um, we'll talk a little bit more about advanced Intel here in just a moment. But I just want to share something from your website. So I think it gives a, an additional idea of who you are and, and how you operate as a leader in the business. And so from the Advanced Intel website, it says, as former refugees, we started Advanced Intel as a community-oriented security company. We provide free notification support to educational institutions, religious communities, tribal authorities, hospitals, and nonprofits. In the midst of the pandemic, we are proud to stand with our communities. And that's awesome, man. And I've seen firsthand some of the remarkable sharing you do you know, through different uh, partnerships and, and collaboration forums. And you've always been so engaged there. It's, it's really great. And, I know that in our spirit, our team at Gay, in that spirit, our team at Gay 15 has helped facilitate some of that support and sharing across a variety of sectors and communities that, that we work with and we, and they are very appreciative of it. It's, it's just awesome. So thanks for approaching it the way you do. I think you've got a you know, great heart in the way you approach security and how you try and make sure that you know, beyond the business aspect of it, you're helping to strengthen and bolster security and resilience for, for infrastructure and others. And that's, that's awesome. But here you are, right? So from that's, Minsk, that's right. To, to New York and New Jersey, right? You, you slowed down the guitar playing a little bit and moved into security. You already talked a little bit about that background, but how did that transition occur? You know, were you coding before you came to the United States, before you came to America? Or did you pick all that up here? What, what's that story all about? Yeah, sure, Andy, that's, uh, that's an excellent question. And it's actually uh, before when in Belarus, um, used to be, uh, I used to also, when I was a kid, a younger, huge, uh, avid uh, game player, so to speak. I've enjoyed playing different games. And back in the days, it was uh, Counter-Strike, of course, super uh, active in Warcraft, Starcraft. Those two games we played with. And even back then, we didn't have any like modern technologies such as, uh, you know, internet access, like fiber internet access. So we we literally bought LAN cables and connected routers together between properties. So when I was a kid, uh, we, we actually in Belarus, there was a phenomenon. I'm not too certain in the US that might've been also this phenomenon, they call it computer clubs, or uh, there's certain internet cafes. We've been formed to be computer clubs where you can basically purchase per hour access to different computers and PCs. That's what we've been doing, actually going into those places and playing games. But besides that, you know, I met, I met so many people and friends, actually one of my uh, neighbors also he somehow actually when we were starting actually making money from connecting different houses and playing games and sharing some for example video content or video movies and some you know sharing between the networks so basically building networks between uh apartment buildings in minsk uh, and that was quite 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 an experience and since since then uh been also kind of inadvertently as one of our neighbors got involved in cybercrime we've always been curious about what he was doing he was always quiet and shy, never actually spoke with anyone. And at some point in time, the police came knocking on his door and he got arrested. And then we got always so curious what's happened. And 
then we learned the whole story. And uh, so it was pretty, and since then I had like natural curiosity towards the sort of like cybersecurity and in general, like what's going on in sort of like in the deepest corners of the internet and uh, what basically the attacker mentality is. Because I believe in the philosophy is that to beat hackers, you have to think like them. And you know, in many shape or forms to be ahead of threats or you know, what occurring, you have to think about, you know, it's from the intelligence also perspective to be ahead of the threat, you have to think like them or gain apprehend with your adversary. But the only way to do that, I mean, from my experience, has always been to adapt and study our criminals and study individuals or study uh, adversaries who attack us. So through our experience, and that's something that I've been also focused on, uh, kind of helping uh, even governments as well, when I came to the US, continuing working and helping them prosecute uh, criminals, notorious for different breaches and hacks. So I believe I have a very acute sense of justice and moral uh, standing, so to speak. So I never in my life ever attempted to do any cybercrime, even though there's a tons of opportunities because always been around the world of uh, sort of underworld and black hat communities but it never occurred to me as an option. And then since then, uh, we actually, I actually helped a lot with the Secret Service back in the early days to track down most wanted criminals. So we literally provided some open source investigation support, especially given that nobody really understood the sort of like Eastern European, for example, social media investigations. I, I believe that Bellingcat currently is doing an amazing job at tracking down, for example, GRU hackers, and now with the Navalny investigation, of course, and uh, he's arrested a couple of days early in Russia, where he was attempted, uh, poisoned by the GRU officers. So there's lots of interesting research emerged, but back in the day, nobody knew how to research Russia, per se. So I did a lot of work with tracking down and, and providing leads on criminals, where we usually find them vacationing elsewhere and we'll help them basically arrest and prosecute. And then also I worked, I studied at uh, college, John Jay College of Criminal Justice, where did philosophy cyber forensics classes. And uh, ultimately became an intern, worked at the New York prosecutor's office. And uh, then I became a full-time employee working there as a cybercrime investigative analyst, uh, essentially. And that's kind of my career has always been focused on tracking down, working, helping the government to do the good thing. And every single day I question myself, are we the right are we the good guys so to speak and always the answer has been yes so and because i was always curious about you know there's always like lots of interesting uh, you know dichotomy or sort of like um kind of a just just a position just a position between the power and authority and what we do especially we you know there's so many cases in my experience in my career where we ever we refuse to work with certain governments or authorities that for focus on uh, tracking down human you know, rights activists or certain groups that are doing this political cause, which is a good cause. So in, in my career, I always track the guys who are obviously wrong or <laughs> committed as a wrongdoing according to the moral standards. So that's, uh, and then since then I was always been uh, curious and uh, cybersecurity was never a job for me. It's really a passion. And whenever I take the passion to the fullest and live through this passion, we have the businesses emerged, uh, careers, successful careers emerged as well, as well as the many other opportunities to give back. And I think giving back to the community is super critical. I think if we are simply doing business without ever considering the option and essentially helping communities and uh, basically build their knowledge or build their defense, I think we are cutting our success short. I think for us, is, it's really not about the money. I be we believe that if we're doing the right approach, focusing on the ideas of 
of uh, expertise and meritocracy and studying criminals the best and providing the best product we should win. And that's something we proved throughout 2020 that, uh, you know, it's not, we believe in the open market. I believe that the best ideas should win always, so to speak. And the open market allows us to prosper, so to speak, because we have uh, amazing product and we have the best uh, thinking that was embodied through my careers of thinking about the criminal minds and adversarial background and how do we track them. And that's in my view, that's the way forward. So it's really a career of, from being a musician, I think there's lots of interesting parallels with uh, notorious or rather uh, successful cybersecurity professionals who have some other skills in different areas. So I think many of us actually have some deep expertise either Music, yeah, who are either musicians or artists or um, any other hobbies that kind of go parallel with the cybersecurity. I think that's something super important. I think it allows us to think about the problems in cybersecurity critically from different standpoints and views. Because for many of us, it's not just mathematics, studying code or reverse engineering uh, malware, for example. It's more than just, it's all studying humans. You know, and I think that's also super important. But yeah, there's a lot of interesting trajectory that goes into cybersecurity career. Yeah, and, and you've and you've done some amazing things, work with some great organizations. You mentioned some other, you know, other excellent work like Bellingcat. I think you talk about sort of folks that are out there you know, trying to do good. I think that's consistent from them. I think another team that does that, I think a team at Citizen Lab also does some you know, pretty pretty great deep dives into some of the less positive, more corrupt, more dangerous maybe. Mm -hmm activities of various organizations and how, you know, and, and nation states. And it's, uh, it's fascinating. And you share some things you're talking about sort of your early days there. And I think um, so many guys in, in, in the information security world, cybersecurity world, you know, whether they're from Belarus or, or London or, or Texas, uh, so many guys start out with gaming and, and uh, you know, building local area networks and just, you know, finding mm -hmm. ways to connect with others. And then from there, that interest and that skill set just, just grew. And, you know, fortunately, you know, seeing your neighbor, you went down a more positive path, right? Which is which is great. Why we get a chance to talk with you today about all the good things that you and your colleagues and your organization are trying to do. So let me let me move back to that. Um, mm -hmm. So going back to the, the the website, you know, another item you've got noted there. It says Advanced Intel is a threat prevention and loss prevention company launched by a team of certified investigators and seasoned researchers. We mm -hmm. offer state of the art solutions to combat fraud, ransomware, and botnets by providing early warning, alerting, applied threat intelligence the long-term strategic services to private sector and government organizations. There's a lot in there. I really like that. We're going to talk a little bit more about that and some of the specific tools that you have, but can you give me a little bit of a better idea of just, you know, what is Advanced Intel all about? What is the work you're trying to do? How are you helping, you know, enhance security and resilience for organizations? Mm -hmm. what you're doing? It's the, the firm itself. It's really the outcome of, of me literally. And, uh, one of my, my first colleague as well, Yelsey, who we work quite a bit, so of us uh, thinking about what was what can we do better than any other you know firms that exist in the market. So we thought deeply through the different options and what could the business be, and in terms of like what specifically what we have. I believe in the kaizen philosophy in the world. You, uh, what do you do should be you should be really good and expert at what you do. What do you do you should also love doing what you do and also. You should be, that's something we do, should also bring you financial success. So if you think about the Venn diagram of those three uh, spheres, and that's something we decided to do. So the focus really is on the prevention, preventive component at the firm core level. It's not enough to, for us to, to fight the indicators, for example, of compromise after the fact. It's not enough for us to um, study 
um, you know, criminal behaviors, you know, it's, there's a criminal, you know, sort of like uh, uh, psychology, of course, that exists in other disciplines that allow us to study post-fact. And so I think it's important to study, but the focus of the firm is really preventive. So in many cases, we help identify and we identify breaches before they mature into ransomware incidents, for example. That has been the focus of our work. As you know, with many breaches in the world that are occurring, for example, the universal health services intrusion that affected uh, globally over 400, 400 different uh, hospitals and networks that they were connected to. Uh, and it was started as a regular um, malware infection that we uh, learned and identified. And since then, of course, we, of co we've seen the world, you know, the criminal actors deployed ransomware at a certain time. So our success stories are based on us uh, identifying by early warnings, uh, the breach uh, artifacts or sort of like a breach, you know, you know, breadcrumbs, so to speak, that allows us to follow the trails and alert the organizations. And our really customers are oftentimes are the organizations that experience a certain event that we really help with mitigating and providing early visibility on. So we have a product that based on us surveying the criminal uh, infrastructures and botnet groups that allow us to see that deeply, as well as the, the also the human intelligence that we also develop learning the adversarial groups itself and developing, building, so to speak, uh, relationships with criminal groups as well that allow us to use their information for good. And that's also focused on prevention. Another component is like loss avoidance. So we build a model, of how can we quantify the risks from cyber incidents? For example, the risk of ransomware, you know, for example, or account takeover, how can we help the, the teams at different financial institutions to save uh, and explain how they reduce cyber fraud, for example. In many cases, cybersecurity has been the function that, uh, that was so solely focused on and in many eyes, from the eyes of leadership, as a, it's not a business generating functions. Oftentimes, all the businesses try to cut down costs in cybersecurity, but we reverse the paradigm. We help explain the team how their job actually helps the businesses and communicate to their executive teams how it brings money. For example, as we identify compromised bot, you know, accounts, especially at the bank financial institutions, alerting the institution and showing the, the, the formula, which is usually the percentage of the balance that's at risk. Uh, you know, essentially disrupted by the team that uh, that obtained the early warning information from advanced intelligence and the product we call Andarial that allows them to justify the team and say, for example, if the customer account is $100,000 at risk that was compromised by the group, let's say, TrickBot, uh, we help explain that, you know, the team takes an action, they save $50,000, which is half percent of the balance because the other half percent, half 50% could be uh, other mitigating action that can exist already part of the model. So, and then if you take it to scale and that leads to the whole loss uh, avoidance model. So it's really easy to justify the existence of why we're doing what we do. It's really uh, a very special approach. And then of course we produce reports and we share with the communities. So we have the full API and uh, platform software as a service and model basically where we provide license based access to different uh, organizations. So we currently have anyone from uh, in cyber insurance uh, industry to to uh, financial finance industry, of course, and healthcare and many others. So it's a pretty interesting growth experience throughout 2020. And I think there's much more to achieve in the space of threat prevention. And in some shape or form, we try to redefine the model to, to be proactive and not just simply reactive and, and or using op solely open source. Our accesses are the, really the key and our data is something that differentiates us across the market. I think it absolutely does. And I'm not going to 
I'm not going to say who this was or the organization that he's with, but a colleague of ours, who I think is now a client of yours. Um, I remember he reached out to me and he was sort of like, hey, you know, this Vitaly guy, you know, is, is he legit? And I was like, yeah, he's, he's a crime fighting superhero. What, what, what's going on? And, and he shared with me, I think, a presentation you, you gave him about sort of his company and what was compromised and what was available. And he said his, his eyes were just, you know, opened up. I didn't take anything from the walk down the hall, basically a few executives and say, hey, this is what's out there and, and, and just make them understand how, how much was exposed and, and what they could do to minimize that exposure, minimize that risk and take you know, corrective action. And I think just your ability to help individuals and organizations really understand um, how vulnerable they are and all the information that is available, you know, when, when somebody gets compromised, it, it's, it's amazing. I, I don't think it's mm -hmm. a, uh, I think when you share what you're doing, it's not a hard sell anymore for people to understand. I really need to take a proactive approach to this and, and it's awesome. And I think there's a lot more people out there that need to sort of take that approach because if we're waiting, you know, if we're being reactive, we've already lost so much, right? Not just information, but also financially. And that's not the yeah. right approach. So I mean, it's awesome what you're doing. Yeah, thank you, Andy. And it's something actually you, publicly we shared some interesting research uh, as a result from our deep investigations where we tracked down ransomware group called Ryuk and found out that they have over $150 million worth of uh, extortion uh, payments, which is pretty unbelievable. If you think about the world of cybersecurity, you think about how successful some of the criminal groups are. So we track down every their cash outs attempts using the Asian crypto exchanger or exchangers. And it's pretty interesting deep dive research and us tracking down the cryptocurrency wallets. And then of course we tracked down and dissected uh, the anatomy of attacks of the group behind uh, the many breaches, also Ryuk ransomware group and also Bazaar Backdoor, which is super uh, a potent threat, which is also was resulted in the US CERT pub, uh, publications that alerted the healthcare industry towards the imminent incredible threat. So we've done quite a bit of an amazing research as well as discovering the new malware it's on its own. So we were tracking uh, the, the prolific botnet called TrickBot and we found that they have a new module focused on firmware, firmware exploitation. So they were like, it's a very low level uh, module that actually resulted in a discovery of this module and essentially published in the research with a company called Eclipsium, which specializes in uh, basically firmware security. And they protect the, the kind of the lowest possible, the chip level security. And it's kind of an interesting angle as well, because we've seen the criminal actors uh, attacking the lower level of the machine itself. It's no longer just an email and phishing. They attack uh, your PC, they attack your firmware, not, not everything is at risk. That's what we are uh, published the research. So definitely, Andy, we do a lot of it and many customers, our meetings are, uh, and it's something, it, it feels magical to be frank. Whenever you uh, help customers, it, it feels so much uh, synergy and that's something actually kind of the world needs more. Uh, I, I, believe in, in, I believe in a strong idea of meritocracy. I believe that the, the best ideas should always win. The people who are equipped to help should always help. And that's something what we do. And it's really, gratifies us a lot. So I would do it if there is no money involved, of course. Uh, and it's something just my passion, but also from the business side, it's also leads us to very successful outcomes as well. So that's, and, uh, and, and I'm just really honored and, and it's, it's a pleasure for me to be where we, where we are as a firm, as and myself, me as a, an individual. So it's, uh, it's, it's a blessing really. And I'm learning how to appreciate every single moment. It's awesome. I love, I love hearing you talk about it. I love, I love seeing how genuinely excited you get about it and, and always so grateful. It's, you know, you're talking free markets and meritocracy. You're talking, you know, words I love, man. That's, that's it's with me really well. But you mentioned a couple of things. We'll come back to that firmware um, piece in just a minute. I think it's really interesting. We're going to be stress evolving. But you mentioned that Ryuk report. 
that got a lot of great, I think, visibility, you know, for nerds like me that are, you know, consuming information all day long. I mean, there, there was a lot of, you know, really good coverage of that because it's just such a, such an amazing number, right? And, and you hear about Ray Grant somewhere. And so you sort of quantify that and what they, what they've gotten is, is amazing. So a, a lot of this work is documented, not just at the website you can go to if you're listening and check it out, but also through all the, you know, all the popular sort of cybersecurity websites and, and reporting. Um, and, and that was one that was really close to reported on. But I want to go back for a second. You mentioned um, something really cool that you've developed, and I, I will I will say it's incorrectly because I always say it incorrectly. It's just a hard word for me. But you guys have developed Andriel, right? And, and, and you can correct my pronunciation. But can you talk a little about you know what that is? We, you told me this before we spoke a few a few months ago. But for those that might be ignorant as I was, can you tell me a little bit about where that term comes from? Mm -hmm. I just got some background, and then we'll talk a little bit about what it actually does. But um, so where, where does that term come from? And, and more importantly, how do you properly say it, right? <laughs> Certainly, <laughs> happy to share. It's actually called Andariel. Andariel actually comes back from the old days, as I mentioned earlier, when I was playing computer games in, in Belarus. So we, were, we played a game called Diablo. And in Diablo game, there was a character, which is the female lesser evil called Andariel. At some point of time, the female evil took over the world, the, the bigger evils, the larger evils. So it became super important character. It signifies in some shape or form what we do because it's, really using the uh, what Andariel as a product that we adopted the name from, what this provides us the most intimate view into criminal mindsets and to the adversarial perspectives. So we want to use, to be as close as we can to the adversarial mind, sort of to evil knowledge, so to speak. And Andariel is also was the female character, the only female character, uh, evil character that was in the game. And it also signifies that uh, as us, you know, it's actually, Andariel at some point of time turned for good, so, and what we, we, we believe in the philosophy is using the bad knowledge for good or using the knowledge, intimate knowledge of how criminals attack us and using that knowledge just to develop the product and visibility for our customers as, as close as we can to the adversaries. And the name is, a, is the perfect name for us. And if, you know, even from a business perspective and uh, back in the day when I, was, when I came to the US, there's a one, one interesting uh, aspect I've learned when we had a construction business if you have a business that started with letter Z, it's very unlikely that somebody who opens up a yellow book or white pages would identify you at the Z letter. So every people, everybody, every person starts looking at the letter A. So A, a is a perfect letter for the business. A is a perfect letter for the product. And a lot of A's in general, like in, in school or in life. So Andy's. <laughs> Certainly. And that's actually kind of another side benefit of uh, <laughs> of having Andariel as the name of the product. So that's that, that's where the name origin is. And if especially if you play Lord of the Rings, there is also the elves forest called Andariel, which brings serenity and, uh, and, and peace of mind for the warriors to rest until they go to different battles. So it heals, you know, so it's, it has such a powerful meaning for me and uh, it's metaphorically and uh, it's really a perfect definition of what we do. In, and that's something that where the name came from. <laughs> I really like that. So listen, if you're listening right now, you're getting free business advice here from Vitaly, right? Very successful guy <laughs> telling you, you know, how, to, how to think about starting an organization or any tools you're developing. So quick tips. But I really like that because you're talking about sort of getting in the bad guy's head, right? Knowing the adversary, knowing how they do things, why they do things, what they might do, and using that to inform your operations. And you know, for us, a lot of our work is in the area of preparedness, right? Exercises. And um, we always say, we, and we want to apply a, a threat-informed and risk-based approach to that. So that means you're understanding what are the bad guys doing? What's realistically likely for them to do? 
and then you take time in going through those those processes and really trying to think through how can I prepare, how can I defend, how can I respond based on that understanding. I think that's exactly what you're trying to do is what what is the adversary doing? What are they what are they about? What are they trying to achieve? And how can I counter that? And I think I think that's an awesome approach. So besides sounding cool, a really cool backstory there. Can you explain a little bit about what what Andrew Yale actually does? Mm -hmm. So Daryl is the, the, the threat prevention and loss avoidance platform. It's a really the software or platform as a service model. Uh, it's basically we provide our customers access to the um, to the you know URL specific URL where you have to uh, log in and observe reports that we publish by our team as well as the raw collection data sets. So for example, the collections across the RDP exposure to botnet based exposure to different other groups. So we intimately identify the victimology and telemetry from different botnets, as well as coupled with our subject matter expert reports that are become the home of Daryl. So there's a quite a few rich functionality that exists, uh, as well as the whole uh, sort of like cyber threat intelligence uh, cycle as well that we have mapping every report and every indicator to the modern attack framework using us uh, building adversarial cards, building their knowledge and building knowledge sets of different groups and cards of uh, threat actors. And so you're using this as the sort of like advanced wiki. So it's, but it's more than just a wiki. We also have a full API endpoint that allows us to quickly integrate with any provider possible that exists in the world. So it's, and there it's, and I love to describe Andereal as not just a product, it's also an experience. Andereal has uh, one of the most, uh, I guess my uh, victim, oh, I'm sorry, the uh, meetings with a customer who is so impressed with Andereal, it's also becomes they become so glued to the intelligence we provide, the information we we share. So it's really become a home for many, many, many of our customers. So it's, but in my view, it's 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 also magical from the standpoint. It provides uh, very important information in a way that it allows the organization to take immediate action. And some of the aspects we do, we also focus a lot of on beautiful visualizations and components that make it sort of uh, stand out. So it's not just raw information. We also spend a lot of time with our team to develop, for example, we use machine learning algorithm, TensorFlow, and other um, tooling to basically display information in the most way that makes uh, its best to action for the executive and leaderships of organizations. One of the aspects we do in Adele as well is serving the underground economy. So for fraud teams we work with, we also provide metrics and what the pricing of underground goods, how much does a credit card cost on various markets, What's the pricing on per beaches? So we provide a full, so to speak, uh, compromised uh, point of purchase analysis, identify which merchant was compromised. So there's lots of interesting metrics and victimology and telemetry in our portal that makes it so unique. And that's what's actually, you know, my experience has always been at many, uh, my experience actually spans across working at different intelligence providers to organizations such as uh, major healthcare providers, as well as, uh, Antivirus vendors. So I was. I'm very familiar with uh, what the market offers, and I built teams and collections in many of them. So and really, it's taken the best what we learned from the adversarial perspective and adopting as part of the endereal. So every customer has different use cases. The major three ones we have are disrupting really customer exposure and employee exposure from cyber threats. Also building early warnings and alerting. If there's something occurs, we would always alert the customer, set up monitoring for their keywords, for their credentials, for their uh, for their any other domains, for any other uh, leaks, so to speak. So, uh, and also we provide uh, DPU into loss avoidance uh, 
formal exposure where we help explain how the model, how the organization's exposure and what the exposure is uh, from different groups can allow them to be more uh, successfully explained business terms. So it also allows to build actions that allow them to save costs and uh, explain leadership, how they, their, the dollar figures are, you know, and, and, and money saved through the actions taken through Daryl. It's really different use cases, but the majority of us, you know, it's really in, in many cases, what I would, uh, it's envision us in many, think, in many ways. The reason why it's also threat prevention as the model is because Daryl is really uh, uh, deeply, uh, um, deeply involved with identifying threats that are uh, atomic, meaning that we know exactly when and when and who was compromised from major, many diff different major botnets and groups. We know exactly when in time and which machine was compromised. So it's more than just simply knowledge of threats. It's also leads to direct actions. Knowing the groups we have, actually one of our customers are major incident response firms who, who use Endarial to identify patient zero and many breaches reliably. And it has never been done before by any other business, as far as I know, that are focused on purely external external visibility. Without knowledge of uh, the intimately the networks, we are able to identify which network is potentially compromised because we know the groups and we so intimately study the uh, botnet groups, the adversarial groups behind them, allows us to be so proactive with and also the threat prevention component that, that's the key of the firm. So these are interesting use cases we have, and definitely, certainly that's. It's only, I'm, I'm only scratching the surface of what Daryl is from dark web sources, but the major key for us, and it's something that we are also deliberately doing, we also focused on our own closed sources and our own sort of like a technical collection. So technical intelligence, which is in signal intelligence, which is in more uh, layman terms is collections based on our uh, atomic indicators outside of the network. So serving and disrupting threats outside of networks is our mission and focus. And I, I love it. There's so much in there, so much that you're doing. And one, I've got a homework assignment, you know, like, like in the old days of being, I've got to sit here and repeat and, and Dariel and Dariel until I get it right all the time. <laughs> but you know, what you're sharing, I mean, I think what, what, one of the things that makes your, you know, your search is different. And I mean, the reality is there have been a lot of companies that have come and they've gone because they've been able to get the information they have, which sometimes is great information. Either it's not digestible, right? They've been able to package in a way that people can see it, process it and understand it, which I think is, is critical, especially the more there is out there, the more it's be able to say, hey, this is really something you can embrace and understand easily, which I think you're doing. And, and they're not being able to make it resonate with uh, both leaders and with those who need to take action. And I think you'll be able to overcome both of those obstacles, right? And I think what you're presenting is, is, is clear and it's being understood and it's allowing both leaders and analysts to then take action, which is, which is so key, right? So it's, it's really awesome what you've been able to do and have been able to you know, ha have success presenting that. I think so many struggle to to take good information, but you, 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 I think you've accessed more information. You've got, you've got some of those human capabilities that you personal experience and, and, and networks that enhance you know, the technology. So it's, it's really exciting. It's really awesome. So I'm going to move us a little bit forward. There's so much you can dive into in all of this, but you know, with everything you're seeing, you touched on this a little bit already, mm -hmm. talking about one of your recent reports, but you know, new year, uh, last year was full of a lot of things, you know, a lot of ransomware, a lot mm -hmm. of data breaches, COVID related threats, right? Phishing from and, and everything else misconfigurations and a lot of data leaks, solar winds to end the year. We're still trying to wrap our heads around solar winds today. Microsoft just shared more information yesterday and they're still trying to understand really what happened and how extensive is this thing. So there's a lot going on, right? It's not slowing down. So as we move into 2021 here, my first you know conversation in 2021 with you, 
what are the biggest cyber th threats you're concerned about right now? Where are these things going and what's on your radar? It's like, hey, this is, this is something we're seeing that you, know, you probably want to start thinking about. Mm -hmm. So uh, certainly, I think 2020, uh, you know, it's it has been the year of solar winds, right? Especially after the uh, the end supply chain risks and attacks that occurred uh, has been has happened before, but the scale, the unprecedented scale, and the the sort of like the breach of the most trusted vendors you work with, including FireEye and Malwarebytes, who publicly disclosed that they have been targeted. That's something that has never happened before. On, on the scale it has happened uh, in 2020. I think the only closest example we had earlier, well, one of the public closest examples we know earlier is the Kaspersky intrusion by some of the other groups that previously targeted them, you know, including, uh, I think, the, I believe there was uh, Israeli, uh, allegedly Israeli state-sponsored state, state groups. They're infiltrated uh, Kaspersky and surveyed what they were doing that led to certain like ban of the products. And, and of course the, uh, so there's an interesting attack vectors we've seen on the vendors, but this is the very first one, especially through such a major attack, uh, uh, such like side channel attack for solar winds. We have so much reach into the many organization government networks. So 2021 uh, has been quite a different year. And 2020 has also been marked that the major workforce is no longer at the workstation at the companies. The office buildings are empty. Nobody really is working at the computers and IP ranges of uh, sort of like a station IP ranges of the buildings where they normally were. Some companies have never imagined their employees working from home. And I know it's like top fortune companies would never allow that to happen unless uh, and if something occurred, uh, but it did occur with the pandemic. And we've seen the criminals are shifting their focus and kind of one of the predictions we are, we're working on predictions report for 2021. The prediction number one, that the end users as a target will continue to be um, the target because the reasons is the end users are sort of like, um, do, do have access to VPNs and uh, internal access to machines at corporate networks. So many breaches we've seen are focused on targeting specific uh, privileged end users who might have access to different uh, corporate networks. So VPN hunting, that's how criminals describe their activities. It's really what the groups are doing, especially those are, uh, for example, Ryu back, uh, Bazaar Backdoor and TrickBot and Emotet. They are really hunting for employees who have Citrix access. So they would log into corporate environments and use this as a pivot in the network. So the end users still, be, uh, still are the targets. We also have seen that with the, with the Trick Boot report that the firmware exploitation angle would likely will be um, the, the theme of 2021, at least uh, what we expect it to be, because the module has been released in October 2020, and we reported back in November, where, you know, in my view, this is one of the most impactful reports that has been released in 2020, because it shows and demonstrates the evolution of criminal intent. When we think about the criminal minds and how do they, what's the intent of the attacks, you know, they are really working on prioritizing high-value targets, and they're defining them through, uh, different categories, including the network records, including the VPN software presence on different hosts. But we also have seen them, um, especially once they identify a target, they use it, they use them for, in that case, was the mod module that looking for vulnerabilities, uh, part of the Intel chip, basically firmware vulnerabilities and using specific uh, uh, vulnerabilities to deploy different other malware on top of that, which basically redefines the model. In many cases, we believe when you're a victim of a breach, we advise, like for example, in many cases, to wipe the machine records and reset all the password the user has connected to because that's the only way forward. 
But if it's a low level or like, so UEFI component, that are also not enough to simply wipe the machine if the malware persists at the boot level. So there's a different angles we've seen on criminals also avoiding and uh, becoming more stealthy with the way they approach uh, uh, persistence, especially at the native level of the machine. So that's another, uh, we believe the ransomware will continue to be the target, but not just the ransomware. So the, ran the ransomware is no longer uh, attacking us as end users. It's the corporate ransomware, we call it. It's the, the ransomware has, has, that has been deployed after lengthy pen testing operations by many groups. Their operations really look like pen testers. And we had a case in 2020, which is quite a phenomenal one huge organization uh, that's part of a kind of a human resource organization that was impacted by, by Riot basically publicly. So there was a major, major like public extortion of them and they were suffered a tremendous loss of data and visibility. And then there we identified them also to be the victim and alerted them. But beyond the point of that, they also at the same time, once they were infected with the ransomware, they also had an internal pen test going on. And actually they, they really had difficulties differentiating the actors who are using Cobalt Strike as well as the pen testers who are also using Cobalt Strike at the same time as their end goal and TTPs and tactics were very similar to that. So we believe that the corporate ransom will continue to be the threat, especially after a lengthy kind of exploitation operation. Um, and that's also something that we continue to, 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 to see and observe, especially when the, uh, when the world is so fragmented now and in the sense that it's, uh, there's a separation, there's physical separation between you know, countries that exist and so that's something uh, super important to note. I think what also 2020 showed us, the, even you know, going back to the example of the country Belarus, where I was a leader of the local uh, organizations fighting for freedom, uh, but also uh, we've seen countries more aggressively employing methodologies to con constrain internet access. So during the protest movements, Belarus experienced tremendous uh, disruptions across the internet, especially the telegram access disruption as well as the social media, how the social media plays such a huge role currently in shaping the views. And I think like in many, in many ways we joke in our industry as well in cybersecurity threat intelligence is that Twitter is the best threat intelligence platform that exists because you can always find uh, different interesting valuable communications and, and information sharing. But in that case in Belarus, there's a company actually in the US we basically help lobby, lobby them to stop uh, helping and providing service to the Belarusian government to uh, to basically to shut down internet. So there's a there's that piece where the governments will continue to be aggressively constraining the internet freedom of certain individuals and countries who they deem to be um, you know not loyal, <laughs> basically. Uh, but in terms of the physical attacks, I think we've seen with the capital like riots and social media applications and and as the way the world moves, I think we'll see sort of like convergence of cyber attacks and physical. I think this is still the theme and will be for many years to come. We know that, for example, ransomware that affects hospital has actual physical implications, as we also noted in one of the reports in Germany where one patient specifically was affected. And the first was reported the patient died because of ransomware activity. But in many cases, when you think about the resuscitator and all those IoT devices been running on the ICU units, so the ones that are responsible for helping the COVID-19 patients can be infected by ransomware. That's super, super critical for us to, 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 to maintain that uh, knowledge that the cyber incidents are just not cyber. This they, they have a deeper layer and they can affect the physical security uh, and physical events. Absolutely. So I think there's a quite a few 
different uh, points we've seen. But from a geographical standpoint, there's an interesting uh, tensions uh, and different, you know, you know, government hacking and sponsored activity still occurring for the espionage or different activity related to gain the upper hand on the government's most secret operations. That still is the key. But besides that, I think that the most profitable venture in cybercrime is still the ransomware and will be in 2021. Yeah, man, you, you packed so much in there and you, we'll, we'll share some of the links because some of the items you talked about are you know, relatively recent reports are sitting on your website. So we'll include some of those links in the, the blog post that accompanies this podcast. You just talked about ransomware quite a bit and um, it, it's absolutely going to be an enduring threat. Uh, as we talk today, DHS, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency there, just put out new ransomware guidance today as we're recording this. And so I'll, I'll share that information in the the blog post as well, you know, for, for folks to better understand the threat and things they can do to mitigate it. And then you ended on, on a point that I, I love very near and dear to our hearts at Gate 15, speaking about that convergence topic, right? We use the term blended threats. And we really mean by that is you're talking about it from you know, the cyber physical nexus, but even beyond that, anytime there's sort of that dual threat from one domain to the other, right? So it could be something as simple as a natural hazard, right? If there's a significant flooding that could knock out network capabilities, we saw that down in Nashville, where a physical attack resulted in compromised communications infrastructure. And absolutely, we're seeing it with, with the Capitol riots and, and other incidents as well. So convergence is a, is a commonly used term. Again, DHS just put out a new reference on, about convergence issues in IoT, I think, in the last two weeks or so. But we talk a lot about in the sense of blended threats. And we've got a number of blog posts to talk about that. We're doing several workshop series with our close partners on that right now, because increasingly, you know, that those, those imaginary silos that don't exist and haven't existed for years between the cyber and physical world are just becoming one big threat footprint. And it's, uh, it's really interesting to see where that's going. And, and I'm, I'm glad you're talking about that. It's great to hear more and more discussion about that. And that reminds me of something else I'll come back and talk about later because I think there's <laughs> some, some good ideas from that. But I want to I start wrapping things up. The ties have been awesome. You know, it's great to talk about threats. I love talking about the risks that come from those threats. But we spend a lot of time on is, okay, you understand the threats and risks, and that's great. But now you've got to take action, right? Just understanding the problem doesn't fix the problem, doesn't address the problem. So, so do something, draw down that risk. So from your perch and with your experience, can you share some simple ideas on key things that we can do, organizations as individuals, to best secure our environments? How do we protect ourselves? Excellent question. Uh, I think in many ways, shape or form, the very first step, as you likely identified, is to uh, simply understand and enumerate sort of like your exposure. I think the very first key factor and kind of like start building the awareness first, because if there is no visibility, in many, in many cases, when we even offer a Daryl, we always provide the first advice to the firms that do not have these certain capabilities to protect themselves, is really to study the threats that they face currently. You know, for example, if it's a malware server, it's, it's a mail server that they maintain, look at the threads that come inbound through the emails. So there's an interesting um, exercise that can be done immediately on the uh, company assets, who is targeting, who is discussing targeting user company, which are the financially motivated groups that can be attacking the organizations, which can be nation state actors. It's safe to say that none of us are secure 100%. It's really not about the uh, the approach of us being 100% bulletproof because there's no organization in the world or government network that's bulletproof. It's really, it's about the determination of hackers. I think well, there's, there's a few key components that and a few key advices that really can help uh, get better. In many shape or forms, develop the uh, kind, of enum kind of enumerations of the asset exposure. I think it's so much easier to be 
uh, attacker than a defender because for attacker you have to be right once and for defender you have to be right every single day yeah. uh, and it's not it's the battle that never ends so it's very it can be very exhausting i think investing into your best humans that you know equipping them with the best resources internally and providing enough power decision making power for the cybersecurity team to be meaningful and provide you know and taking actions whenever something occurs is critical you know, we talk about the CISO role across the board and uh, what the CISO should really do. You know, again, it's not just a cyber, it's not it's just a security personnel. It's really uh, an involved, you know, executive. And it's really an executive that uh, is part of decision-making. And that's like kind of like a, a shift in mentality. I think for, for us as a humans, I think we should, uh, in, many in many cases, the challenges we faced with, uh, how do we quantify the risks for cybersecurity? When you go to the board meetings, it's hard to explain to the board we need uh, 15 million million dollars to protect our networks because, you know, the breach of OPM happened. Because the question would be, what are the costs associated with this breach outside of us? It's a loss of integrity, but can we really quantify the loss of integrity in our system? So there's a uh, there's an intangible method that prevents us from being super analytical in terms of the business costs. However, when we think about the cybersecurity as a as a deep element of what we do. And you think about the riots and so to speak, the convergence of threats. That's where um, the philosophy of us being purely business ends because it allows us to see different angles of cybersecurity. I think what we've been doing hard to reverse the paradigm of a business cost where cybersecurity is treated simply as a business cost for many uh, enterprises where they treat it as an expense rather than the helpful or uh, well, the team that it really produces great outcomes because there's so many different uh, work and, and success stories we had earlier. So for, for us as humans, we should be also focused on, on getting for getting better first as, as us, you know, making sure, you know, we are not open suspicious emails as we talk about the end users are the targets. So starting with us as each of us, you know, this is the key. Uh, and as well as the kind of the culture of the culture of uh, cybersecurity mindedness, it's critical. It's, it's, not, it's not enough to simply, you know, trust cyber insurance to do the right thing for us. We've seen there's a funny meme that exists where there's a, you push one button, you choose to build a cybersecurity program or you, you choose to purchase a better cyber insurance policy. <laughs> and in almost all the cases, <laughs> yeah, in almost all the cases, there's a, there's a chance to choose cyber, security, uh, cyber insurance policy in, uh, in light of that. So there's a, the cost of the breach is currently shifted towards the cyber insurance market, where the cyber insurance market take the brunt of the breaches of the ransomware incidents, they pay out the hackers, they're super involved. So, and the criminals are realizing that. So they're exploiting the different angles where the money is. And I think for us as humans, I think we should be thinking about, I think cyber insurance is an excellent way to battle threats, just my honest opinion, but I think at some point of time it reduces you know, it makes us blind. It, it's in, in, there's a Russian expression we used to say, if you start feeding wolves every single day, the wolves will uh, forget how to hunt themselves. So I think for us as hunters, I think in cybersecurity professional, we should always maintain the cybersecurity mindedness. Uh, thinking about the emails we receive, thinking about uh, reading articles is every single day. Our profession and our duties are so much more expensive, I think, like than even many different other professions. When we think about the events and they think about technologies, how they change every single day and how many articles, how many uh, processes we need to stay up to date from the legislative components, from GDPR to 
to physical security events where we're tracking down riots and how it affects the, the parlor platform, for example, playing a role in major cyber and physical security events. And I think uh, from, from, from our standpoint, the physical in, in, uh, convergence and you know, simply helping your immediate ones. So for example, my wife and my family, I always give lots of advices how to have better cyber passwords and be better from cyber hygiene perspective. But really small, small things that starts with us are really the key, the key forward. There's no way for us to, you know, I guess, move forward if we are not simply doing us. And I think leading by example, it's really the change. You know, I think it's almost like uh, raising kids or family or you know, in some shape or form, you have to lead by example. And starting from us, I think this is the key forward. But I think, you know, while the threats are converging, while everything changing, I think the landscape and the attack surface also broadens. And I think we only will experience more of different attack vectors and different technologies. I think uh, we, we could not rely 100% none of the vendors to be super secure. We could not rely on you know, cyber insurance to save us every single time. So it's really us uh, uh, studying, you know, uh, kind of building, building, building our habits as humans and you know, employing them as best as we can. For example, you know, your email account can be super valuable for hackers for, from information for standpoint to extortion, to uh, passwords that you might store. So it's really the gateways to hackers are really something that we should be really focused on mitigating any uh, attack surface that uh, would yield them success stories. You know, of course, either extorting you or providing different other venues for attacks, really reducing the attack vector and starting from small things from us first. And then applying the same technology across the businesses, enterprises, and uh, and kind of uh, living and breathing organisms that I think, in my view, businesses are sort of like uh, organisms that need protection as well. They also need to think about what their exposure is, you know, what the critical components, if it's domain controller, where the keys of the kingdom are, who controls the keys. I, I was given a talk uh, actually a year ago at, in Poland where I was talking about the how do criminal actors exploit Active Directory for fun and profit. And there's an interesting tidbit when you ask the audience, how many people do we know who has access to sort of like components within the active domain, active directory, so to speak, domain controller. And in many cases, nobody really understands or knows enough about the technology to be proficient. I think we should all work hard to reduce any technological uh, kind of debt we might have, especially you know on the administrator level. There shouldn't be one person responsible for <laughs> The administrating, administrating major complex networks nobody knows or understands how to do it quickly, or you know instead of cry in, 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 in you know in a time of crisis, and I think reducing privileges is also would be the key forward because we've seen privileged accounts reused and many because it's easy cybersecurity. There's always a dichotomy between ease of use and convenience versus security, and I think we're constantly moving, especially now with more new technology, we're moving towards ease of use first. And I think we should always balance it with security. You know, it's uh, why do we need this new technology? You know, like somebody said, oh, because it provides us, you know, for example, it's a new, it's a new appliance, but do we really need this appliance? Does it really help us to reduce the security? Does this appliance produce a broader attack vector? For example, think about the Orion platform, SolarWinds. The SolarWinds product really helping us to reduce the cost or is it another attack surface? And when you think about the product as a potential attack surfaces, that we might deal with and that's something also the key so serving the internal product and layer stack and thinking about do we you know what if this company can compromise exercising you know building exercise is part of your regular routines and and now kind of like 
and sort of like uh, knowledge sets within the organizations and building plans how to deal with in case the provider is getting compromised and somebody inadvertently pushes an update that causes a uh, major ransomware incident, for example, or data destruction or data deni denial event, what do we do next? So there's lots of exercises. I think it's like to stay in shape in cybersecurity, kind of like in fit, cyber fit, so to speak, to be in good shape and exercising, doing exercises. Sometimes humans, we should be going to the gyms and working out, even though, uh, or going out somewhere because of, you know, even though it's COVID-19 uh, pandemic, we should be still be in good shape, both physically, both uh, mentally. The same thing with organizations, they should be also in good uh, cybersecurity shape if there are no uh, exercise, there is no audits or uh, equipment or the services or product, they are not in good shape. And I think thinking of us, you know, I, I think I, I like the human components. I like to to humanize to an extent corporations and organization networks from a cybersecurity perspective. Thinking of them as uh, kind of human components, human-like components. And what what do we need as humans? Can we simply, you know, you know, not treat the human well and expect them to be to be fit or to be in good shape. No, we should always think about taking care of them. It's not enough for them to, you know, as humans for us, for us to buy an expensive firewall for our uh, you know, phone device, for example, and expect to, to protect 100%. No, the same the same with cybersecurity. It's, like it's not enough to deploy an EDR product that uh, claims to protect from all different threats, but in reality, you know, it's, 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 it's a hit and miss. So it's, it's 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 the battle the battle could never won both on artificial intelligence nor on uh, technological stack. It's one human level, both uh, in and out the battle, so to speak. Yeah, man, you've you said so much there. I mean, I'd say if you're listening, you could you could play this back and listen to it a couple of times and take some really good notes on you know, the many areas you covered there. You read about everything you covered and it made me think about a number of things. One, one of my my colleagues here at Gate 15, Dave Pounder, has really been promoting that 2021 really needs to be a year we emphasize that culture of preparedness, right? Really understanding those threats, like I said, constantly consuming all the new things that are happening, understanding what that means and how it impacts me and building that culture, take care of that, the human, right? Because it, it, so much of it comes down to that person, you know, people knowing what to do. You would talk about exercising and practicing those things. There's some really great thoughts there. You also talked about, I think you're talking about more of the organizational level, you know, bring it back home for all of us, you know, especially coming out of the holidays where a lot of people got cool new uh, gifts and devices you know, when we bring things into our home, how much of that is really necessary versus just uh, an additional tax surface, right? Does your fridge need to have an IP address, right? There's new speakers that you bought. What, what's the exposure of it and then the risk with having those in your house, right? There's, there's so many things that are really cool. It might be fun, might be convenient, but, but there's a trade-off in some of that. So some really great points. And, you know, last I'll say, and you talked about sort of the importance of educating our families and our loved ones and keeping people informed. And, you know, my, my family makes fun of me sometimes because my for my personal email, you know, my signature block includes a list of about nine or 10 things, you know, do this, do this, use this, learn this, know this, because I think, you know, one, one thing I can do is because of the work that I do is try to encourage others to take a more proactive approach, you know, use use a password manager, right? Uh, use, use, use AV, use a VPN, you know, use Signal, use use different things, and, and hopefully it, it sinks through. So, man, thank you so much. You covered, you covered so much in, in that portion and everything else we discussed today. This has really been great. So as, as we close out, Vitaly, open floor, man. Any Anything you want to share about your organization, some timeless piece of wisdom that you know, you've picked up over the years? I'll give you the last word before we close. Thank you, Andy. Uh, I think, you know, in, in many shape or forms, what, you know, that's something I want to really close with uh, the philosophy of a different, like, I guess, the, the proactive view into cybersecurity. 
what, what, what I believe that the threats, the, the very best and the very meaningful way forward is to really studying and being as close as we can to our adversaries. In intelligence world, we should know what they do and you know, we should always at any time know, like for example, where the mission focused, you know, if there's a nuclear you know, uh, plants they have with nuclear weapons, we should know where the adversaries might have those nuclear weapons. And realizing building the knowledge sets of adversaries to really beat hackers, you really have to think like them. It's, uh, it's really um, one of the philosophies that we embrace. And uh, you know, it's really not about us you know, like disrupting threats, doing, you know, in many shape or forms, a whack-a-mole game of, you know, like for example, applying IOCs and simply expecting the magical solution or bat button that doesn't exist. So it's really us, uh, you know, being uh, kind of proactive and being also um, building knowledge, knowledge, knowledge sets and books around adversaries. I think we talk about the MITRE attack framework is an excellent mechanism of us being proactive and also being, uh, very knowledgeable, not, not knowledgeable about their tactics of different groups. And I think something similar, the paradigms of understanding of criminal behaviors are critical. I think as, all, as, as the world progresses, as, as we are thinking about what we'll do next, you know, after the you know, potential pandemic, uh, you know, kind of at least, at, least, at least gets more controlled, I think the world will reshape in some shape or form because it will lead to people, uh, it would significantly impact human behaviors. However, what I think uh, from the cyber, security standpoint, uh, I think the, the threats would also uh, progress or, you know, move away from this sort of like a spraying prey attacks, or, you know, you always get an email into your mailbox and become more targeted. I think the threats would also be more targeted in the future that will, um, uh, the criminals will spend more time and criminals in APT groups will spend more time uh, focusing on targeting very specific individuals of interest and really, uh, their, their return on investments and their attack vectors will be more challenging and sophisticated in future. However, uh, I think that uh, the really, the one way forward is, and the best way forward to develop sort of like early warning indicators, you know, when we think something is, something might be going wrong. For example, when you think about the new malware groups developing capabilities or with our report and trick book malware where the firmware exploitation angle is to become the, the critical angle in the malware attacks. And, the, and developing a knowledge set surrounding them is critical. But besides that, I think, uh, you know, I think while we live in this COVID-19 world, uh, and uh, especially after the elections and in, in, uh, inauguration in the US, we believe you should never take, uh, you know, freedom is never free, so to speak, but also we should never take freedom and democracy for granted. I think we enjoy a lot of uh, privileges being in the country in the US and seeing the world is very different, uh, especially if you think, think about the Belarusian example, where uh, it's really the sole pur purpose of the government to sustain the dictatorial regime and, uh, and the police is actually acting on behalf of the government. So I think for us, it's gonna be critical in the world as we're in examining, you know, and essentially when examine certain uh, mechanisms that are at the foundation of what we, about our, our own ethics uh, as, as a company and us, we would never work for governments that are dictatorial or tyrannical towards citizens. So, and I know like it's not just business for us. And I talked in present throughout the, uh, the webinar and throughout our conversation is that uh, it's, it's really not about the business. It's, you know, if you help humans first, the business would always survive and come to terms. And in many cases we've seen, especially the, the, the firms that are being described by citizen labs or bailing cat organizations are other ones that oftentimes end up on the long uh, on the wrong uh, essentially angle of those uh, 
attacks, for example, either, either support the the uh, the, um, the support of the, the governments that constrain the freedom of speech or different organizations. So I think for us, it will be critical to examine in future uh, those elements and especially work together to help uh, release those points of uh, freedom depression. And I think it's not enough for us to to observe the injustices elsewhere in the world, because the world, from one standpoint, it's a little bit fragmented now geographically, but uh, the idea behind the internet, the very first idea that I enjoyed in the very early days, it's the abstraction between the physical layer. So we know we can be anywhere in the world, but still uh, communicate, you know, and I think we should help each other in the world that we're in. I think there's a certain challenges ahead of us, especially, you know, uh, there are certain political challenges, especially with different countries and their regimes and how they impose internet and how they use internet to, for example, to constrain uh, people's rights to see, you know, or observe different social media channels as in Belarus, for example. So I think we as a community, as a world, we should unite and help different, um, to fight battles against uh, dictatorial regimes or injustices. I think what the beauty is, and I often like to describe myself as a human of a universe, so to speak, because I travel, I was born in Belarus and I lived in the U and live in the U.S. and a U.S. citizen, but also I like to spend as much of my time as and help different governments because I have such an interesting angle and perspective and, and what's occurring in both countries and and comparatively speaking, uh, it's uh, it's very different and and we know that uh, what Belarus experienced currently is with uh, the falsehood elections and the uh, the forced control of power in the, the police brutality. And, uh, and if there's something we can do as a community to help battle those injustices, we should always do. And always just ask yourself and question whenever there's a business opportunity comes with or different uh, relationships you build with, uh, how, how and what basis of their ethics is, because if it's really supports, you know, in certain countries speaking badly about the president or king of the country can be a crime of its own. So we should be very acutely familiar with different uh, uh, philosophies that exist on the paradigm of our success stories. So it's not really about the money. It's not really about the business. It's really doing the right thing for the right cause and for the at the right time. So, and I think that's that's our model and that's model of reality where we would always help uh, the organizations that do not have capabilities as we work closely with the faith-based uh, uh, organizations and help them to build their capabilities. The tribal communities, they might not have any cybersecurity capabilities, but they're still being targeted by criminal groups. So it's really critical for us as a company, as advanced intelligence and, my, and me personally, to be so deeply involved with those initiatives that support the communities that might not have, um, you know, budgets or even uh, any cyber meaningful uh, cyber capabilities. So it's really critical for us as industry to stand up and unite. I know there's lots of division on the competitive landscape, and I know there's lots of competition, but when we think about the cyber threats, we've seen uh, magical things happen. When the companies that consider themselves com competitors work together, informing the government, uh, for example, with the FireEye and uh, SolarWinds, uh, they work together to inform the government, work together to inform the world to be a better place. So, and I think this is the key forward, Re collaborations and uh, relationship building exercises and, and build a relationship like with you, Andy, us as a company and have a relationship and, and uh, very blessed access to you and, and your team has been uh, quite a Quite, quite, a, quite an honor for me personally, but for the team as well, just to have your feedback and uh, have you with us. And, and especially given that we have such a different focus and because we focus on the platform and you have a very unique approach towards building the awareness and building exercises, part of the uh, business model. I think that's something that's super critical, building and uniting across the cyber 
security uh, paradigm and helping each other and helping the community. You know, it's really finding the best person who can win. It's uh, really the embodies the, 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 the point I mentioned earlier, the Kaizen philosophy is, is what really, really good at what makes you happy and what helps the world and, and brings financial freedom. Those are the key aspects that we as humans should be focusing on. And if it's cybersecurity, be the best cyber expert as we can. And, and you are, man. I love it. Thank you so much for all the kind words. We love getting to work with you. Thank you so much for taking time out to you know, share with me today. And uh, you know, I, I can tell for those listening, uh, Vitaly's words are actually what he does as well. You know, the way he approaches his business, the way he shares, the way he collaborates with others. I can see that firsthand and it's, and it's awesome. You're, you're, you're a champion, Vitaly. I'm so grateful you know, for you taking time out to join us today and for sharing. And thanks to all for all those that are listening in. This is my Get to Dean interview, my monthly interview with amazing guests and leaders such as Vitaly and other guests from across our broad homeless security environment. Next month, I'm looking forward to having a much more physically focused talk. We, we discuss the, uh, the venue space, arenas, stadiums, and some security challenges organizations are facing. Uh, thank you for listening to today. Please check out my colleagues' uh, discussions with our monthly risk roundtable, Jen Walker's Cybersecurity Evangelist podcast, and Dave Pounder's Nerd Out Security Panel discussion. Please leave us your feedback on social media or by email. You can get all those links at the blog post that accompanies this today. And until next time, be reasonably safe and live free. Vitaly, thank you so much for joining us Andy. today. You're awesome, man. Thank you. Thank you.